What are the odds of playing for a legendary coach, a Heisman Trophy winner, plus nabbing multiple conference and national championships? Pretty slim, unless you're my next guest right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody and we're taking downfield for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis! Oh my God! Davis is going to run it all the way back! And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. What are the three most beautiful words a sports fan can hear? Football is back. The wait is over, my friend. And even though you might not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Plus, there's always that online casino as well. The best part about it, it never closes. You can play 24 7. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. It's the only place to go. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The University of Florida has eight conference championships, three national titles, and three winners of the coveted Heisman Memorial Trophy. And one player had a hand, well, actually two, in all that history. Tate Casey, two-time national champion for the University of Florida Gators. Thanks for joining me, Tate. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. All right, you were one of the nation's top tight end prospects coming out of Longview High, and with so many of your family members attending Texas-based universities, why did you pick the Florida Gators? You know, for me, I think, uh, one, there was a couple different dynamics. Uh, baseball obviously was involved in my selection process, and two, it was really just coaching staff and, and atmosphere. And when you look at Florida uh, compared to East Texas, there's not much difference between Gainesville and Longview. Um, in, in terms of the scenery and what you get out of football. Um, and for me, it was kind of like a uh, perfect scenario, you know, having the ability to play baseball, having the ability to play football uh, was brought in by Ron Zook and, and Larry Fedora. And the coaching staff really, uh, really impressed me as far as how personable they were and, and how they made you feel at home. Nice. Well, let's jump right in on the football side in your freshman year. You became the first Florida true freshman tight end to catch a TD since 1979 and your four TDs were the most by a Gator true freshman since Ike Hilliard did it back in 94. In that offseason, though, you go from Ron Zook to Urban Meyer as head coach. Tell me about the change in coaching style. Uh, you know, the change in style was, was almost night and day. You know, both very intense guys, but just the approach that Urban took uh, from a standpoint of, of, you know, being on top of your business every single day, you know, every hour of every moment. Uh, was something that it's noticeable. And the one thing that I that I saw almost spontaneously was how the players responded to kind of the wow factor. Uh, and that first off season was, you know, it was tough for guys that were at the program with Zook and making that transition. That was the first thing we noticed was the weight the weight room and the off season program was just completely different. And uh, bit to that obviously was 2006 when you come back around for the second off season. It was almost like the bar had been set and the upperclassmen demanded that out of everybody below them. And I think that that's really what made us so great in the long term. Yeah, well, let's jump right into that first of two national championship seasons. It's your junior year in 2006. 
and you really stepped up in the biggest of moments. Uh, none bigger than when you were hosting the ninth-ranked LSU Tigers, led by Jamarcus Russell. Take me into the huddle with less than a minute left before halftime for the legendary jump pass play. And, uh, you know, 97 pop pass. He worked on that, uh, that play. I'd say we probably had that play installed for, for a few weeks before we actually found the opportunity, you know, was right. Um, and, and, you know, Urban made the call. We had a, a brief timeout right before that. Urban made the call and said, all right, man, you know, here we go. Let, let, let's get it going and you know, don't drop it. And I think the biggest <laughs> thing for me was it, it was almost – we had repped it so much in practice. There wasn't really – and, I, and a scenario that, that we would come across that would really deter us from running the play. Uh, but we ended up getting a little bit different look. You know, I ended up having a, you know, a head-up technique and a guy outside and a nine technique. So getting off a blocker and, and, you know, trying to get to the back of the end zone was a little bit of, of a timing disruption, uh, considering I had to kind of go through two guys instead of one. But you also got to sell the run. And so for me, you know, was trying to make that happen as quick as possible and you know, Timmy did a hell of a job of hanging up in the air and, and kind of delaying it a little bit and then just let it go. But that thing hung up in the air for about two days. So, <laughs> you know, it was a pretty, pretty cool experience, but it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit more hectic catching a ball that's hanging up that long in a stadium that's quiet as can be than it is, you know, when somebody puts it right on your numbers. Sure. Well, you nab that go-ahead score with 22 seconds left. Oh, jump pass. How about that? Oh, my gosh. That looks like 1955. Are you kidding me? He faked the, the quarterback sneak and then hit Tate Casey with a delay right up the middle, a little pop pass. Uh, how conscious of were you of that end line that you were going to stay in the end zone? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I like to say I have pretty good field awareness. You know, there was a couple times in college that, that I was edging the sideline or, or had to, you know, put a good toe down. Uh, I wasn't too concerned about that because the peripheral vision, you know, while I'm running, I'm aiming at the back pylon. I, I kind of had an idea of how far I was. My biggest concern was as I recorrect and go back to my left, I also kind of going backwards. Uh, and so you can kind of see out of your periphery, but, you know, I wasn't too concerned about it. I had a general idea where I was. We're speaking with Tate Casey, two-time national champion for the Florida Gators. And you and the Gators overcame the toughest schedule in the nation that season to take on the eighth-ranked Arkansas Razorbacks in the SEC championship game. Um, you're up at halftime, 17-7, but it's actually another game that drew a lot of attention as second-ranked USC lost to UCLA. How aware was the team that, with a win, you still had a shot at the BCS national title game? You know, I think that we found, if I'm not mistaken, we found out at halftime that that was going down. Um, and that we had a we had a shot. We win this game. We got a chance to go. And I think for us, um, as, as players, we knew that we've got a pretty good argument one way or another, um, just through the schedule we played and, and how convincing it was. But you know, back then, the BCS taking into consideration style points and a oh, lot of the yeah. conversation that's around, you know, USC at the time was so good, um, and they had been there, done that, you know, the year prior, and so. I think for us, we knew we'd have to really show out that game and, and against a really good Arkansas team when you look back at what exactly they had uh, on both sides of the football. And so really the second half was just about coming out and, and grinding it out. And, and the SEC, you know, you never never say you get style points, but it's just such a grind. 
you know, in, in big games like that, it doesn't matter who you're playing in the SEC championship game. Those are usually the two best teams uh, in the SEC, and, and most of the time it's the two best teams in the country, too. Exactly. We'll talk about grinding and out. You caught a TD with a little over nine minutes remaining in that game from receiver Bubba Caldwell to take a commanding 38-28 to 28 lead. Reverse. Right side, Andre Caldwell. He throws it. It's caught. Take Casey for the touchdown. How about that? Did you think that TD was the nail in the coffin for the Razorbacks? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, it was one of those things that it's kind of the epitome of that team in 06. You, you had your role players and you had guys that did things really well. And then you had your, you know, your your spotlight guys. And, you know, with the emergence of Percy Harvin in 06 and some of those young guys with Riley Cooper and Lewis Murphy's on the backup roles. And then when you look at what we had at wide receiver with Dallas Baker, Jamel Cornelius, and Bubba Caldwell, you know, you, you find touches any way you can. And I always said that we've got guys like, you know, Jamel Cornelius was one of those guys that was – he was a role player. He wasn't a spotlight receiver, but when you needed him and you dialed up his number, he got the job done. And, and so, yeah, for me, that was a great moment for me just – taking advantage of every touch that I had. And, and I always thought that red zone was one of those areas that I did, you know, really well in what I was called. Yeah, you absolutely did. And that victory gave Florida their first conference championship in six years. At the time, did you think it was enough to leapfrog Michigan for the shot at Ohio state, in the national championship game? You know, I don't think for us, I don't know if we really were too concerned about Michigan as much as the, the conversation of USC. Um, and, and, you know, it didn't matter who you put us up against. I think we just wanted to be there. You know, that, that team demanded so much respect and the blue-collar mentality that we had in 06, which is, is funny because in 08 was a completely different type of team. You know, 06 was more blue-collar mentality. There was a lot of guys that we were told we didn't deserve to be there. We weren't necessarily that type of team. And we had to go out and prove some people wrong. You know, I had a big chip on our shoulders. I think once you step into the 08 team, there was a lot of swag. We knew exactly who we were, and we also knew we had a big bullseye on our back. So we knew we had to go out there and do it, except our ego that we carried with us was one of, there's not a team that can beat us. Yeah, well, let's stick with that uh, 06 uh, national championship game. Ohio State draws first blood with a 93-yard kickoff return by Ted Ginn. Uh, did any doubt seep in in the beginning? <laughs> no, and it's funny. I get that question a lot. I was one of those guys that was always in the, uh, in the special teams meeting room, and the, the game plan that we had that worked so well for us, especially on kickoff coverage team, um, we didn't execute on that first play. And, and that really has a lot to do with just, you know, what happened. Um, and for me, we're watching from the sideline going, okay, you know, they got, they got one, but I can promise that mistake's not going to happen again. And, uh, and we knew we had a lot to show and a lot to, uh, a lot to put out there for all the fans that didn't think we should be there. Yeah. And so for us, I mean, we, we just had to go out and take care of our business. We were really itching, uh, as much as we had heard about that Ohio State defense, we were itching as an offensive unit to, to get on the field against those guys. And we had so much bulletin board material for the two weeks prior that it definitely was something we just couldn't wait. Oh, yeah. Well, you could tell you couldn't wait because you go on the steamroll, the Buckeyes, 41-14, and the Gators' first title since 1996. How was that national championship celebration? You know, it's, it's funny. It was awesome. It was, it's kind of in, surreal in the moment you, that night you had a chance to really like see the families of the players and, and hang out at the team hotel for a little bit. But I don't think it really started to creep in until about, a, you know, maybe three days to a week later when we're back. Really? In that Gainesville, long? Kind of having a, yeah. You know, I mean, we, 
you have a chance to decompress all that. And I, I think sometimes when you're you're so locked in and focused and your goal is one thing and you spend eight months, nine months trying to get there, that after you finally accomplish it, for us, we're so exhausted. You know, you take a second to decompress everything that just took place. And I, I think at least that's just me speaking personally. I think it took a good three, four days for me to sit back and realize, like, man, what we just did was really, really awesome. Uh, and, and get a chance to enjoy it a little bit with the fans on campus and, you know, some of the other student bodies. Oh, must have been must have been crazy down there in Gainesville. We have on the show former Florida Gators tight end Tate Casey. Fast forward a little bit to 2007. The Gators go nine and four, but your QB Tim Tebow wins the Heisman Trophy. Did you feel like there was unfinished business heading into your senior season? You know, my senior season was supposed to be in 07, um, and, and I, I was injured and out that that year. But I'm so one fortunate blessed to be able to have another year to come back with a medical redshirt. But that 07 season, I think if you ask most guys, I think it was a little bit, we got complacent. You know, I think we kind of rode, rode that high from the 06 National Championship. And uh, and after the year, you know, I definitely remember having to send guys like Bubba Caldwell and some others out their last year without a title. Um, and, and a really talented team, some really good players. And I just remember coming back at 08 and being one of the upperclassmen and in the offseason, we kind of set the tone early. You know, I think really from that Capital One Bowl game uh, in Orlando against Michigan, really from that day on until the, the national championship in 08, we had a mindset and focus that was really lasered in. And I don't think you can tell anybody any different than what we're about to accomplish next year. Yeah, well, one of the iconic moments of that magical 2008 season actually came after a lost old Miss in the fourth game. From a player's perspective, what did Tebow's legendary speech, The Promise, mean to the team? didn't already know, you know, especially from, from Tim. I mean, he's, he's our leader. He's our, he's our quarterback. Um, I think what he did so well, and, and I think what was so uh, resonated with the fan base was he showed the passion that all of us were feeling. And, you know, as he always does so well, he delivered that um, in a way where we don't necessarily get hurt, but we're feeling it. Feeling that with him, and, and he delivers the speech, and you know, I think it was really off the cuff. It's just him getting it off his chest, and sure that Gator Nation knew, hey, we, we're a team, we understand what this means, this is something we work towards, and, you know, we were looking forward to an undefeated season, so now that that's not on the table, what we're promising is, is we're going to come back and we're going to give you everything we have. So I think we all resonated with that and, and, you know, made that happen as well. Yeah, well, Florida definitely sw- flipped the switch as you guys dominated the SEC foes on your way to... Alabama, Nick Saban in the conference championship game. What was the mindset coming into that game against an undefeated, top-ranked Crimson Tide? You know, uh, Nick Saban's got a reputation for winning big games, you know, even before that. You know, of course, that was before he, he goes on a tear. I mean, that's two of the most dominant head coaches in college football going up against each other. And, and you know, you've got to bring your A game you know, all the way around. I think for us, we had to come into that game and be on point with every single aspect of football, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. And, you know, that week of preparation leading up to the SEC championship game in 2008 was probably one of the best weeks we had. Um, And we were operating like a professional team. I mean, guys were honed in on what their assignments were, and and nobody really let anything fall through the cracks. So that game was, in my opinion, that was a national championship game. You know, I think who wins that goes on to win the national championship one way or another. 
Uh, and, that, and that's with no disrespect to OU, who was an unbelievable team that year. I just think both those teams, uh, Alabama and the Florida 08 teams, were just too good. Yeah, well, you did dab the uh, eighth SEC crown and head back to the national championship game, like you said, against Oklahoma, led by Heisman winner Sam Bradford. Uh, how did that 06 national champ game prepare you and the team for 08? You know, I think from a perspective of, of preparation, you know, Urban was always big on preparation. That was that was what leads to a lot of success on the field was if you prepare the right way when the opportunity presents itself, you're going to be successful. And he had, at that point in 08, he had full buy-in. And I think what helped that cause was in 06, all of the guys who were sophomores you know, juniors, freshmen on that 06 national championship team. Sure. They're now your they're now your leaders. You know, those are now the guys in the locker room that are your guys pulling everybody along with them. And so I think they saw what kind of accountability it took. They saw what kind of leadership it took. Uh, they saw exactly what it meant, and and they believed in that. So I think that's really what we pulled away from that 2006 game. As you become upperclassmen, and for me, I was a junior in 06 and a redshirt senior in 08, so I was already an upperclassman in the 06 team. Just having a general idea of what it took to get everybody on board with that mindset, uh, and I thought Coach Meyer and his staff did a hell of a job you know, doing that as well from a leadership perspective. Yeah, well, on board you were because you win your second national championship with a 24-14 thumping of the Sooners. You mentioned you it took about a couple days to realize and let the full effect of the 06 championship sink in. How did it sink in uh, after that 08 season? Now that you had a pair of rings, was that more than you ever dreamed when you signed with Florida? <laughs> it sank in a heck of a lot quicker the second time around um, for a number of reasons. I mean, obviously, I, that was my last year. That was I had already graduated. I was done with school. I didn't have to worry about you know getting back to campus and starting another semester a week later. Uh, so for me, it was it was easier probably than than most guys that may not have won that 06 title. But, you know, I think you got a chance to enjoy it a little bit more. You didn't have to worry about too much uh, with school or going back to workouts, you know, a week later. For us in 06, man, we got right back to workouts. It was kind of like two weeks later, it was an afterthought. You know, now we got to go in the next one. Uh, we got we to get ready to go win the next one. And so I think 08, sending it out that last year uh, on, that, on that high note was really cool for me. I'm done. I'm done at Florida. I can relax a little bit. I can get my body right, take a you know a little rest before trying to prepare for pro day. And, and that was kind of nice to have, to be quite honest with you. Oh, definitely. And we're speaking with Tate Casey, national champion in 2006 and 2008 for the Florida Gators. You play for some legendary coaches. What do people not know about Urban Meyer? You know, I think a lot of people's misconception about Urban is that he's, he's a very edgy you know, kind of hard to talk to personality. And, and you know, I, I think for guys who probably had relationships with him as players, they probably tell you that that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, I know he cares about his own. He cares a lot about family. He's a huge, huge morals guy in, in regards to, you know, honesty towards the coaching staff and honesty about who you are as a person. But I, I can say that almost 95% of what I've learned about being a, being a grown man has come between Urban Meyer and my father and how to approach life and wow. how to approach certain situations. And I think that that speaks volumes. Uh, and I bet if you talk to a lot of players that played under him that had a good relationship and had that kind of relationship with him, they'll probably tell you the same. Um, he's got a great family. He you know, comes from a, a really blue-collar background, and, and it shows. 
Yeah, well, you're also your offensive coordinator, Dan Mullen, left after the 2008 season for the head job at Mississippi State. What in his days as your OC did you see in his style as the head coach now of the Gators? Yeah, I think his focus, there's, a, there's, not, there's not a lot of things that I can pull out of his coaching style in 08 that, that is now his coaching style as a head coach, um, except for the ones that really he's not going to stray too far from because he's had success, and that's kind of how he was, he was brought up under Urban. The preparation, the consistency, the, the level of expectation and what that Gator standard is, I think that's all going to be there. And it's, you know, due in large part to who he came up under in the coaching ranks and what kind of success he's had with it. You know, that system has pretty been pretty fail-setting yeah, for a lot yeah, of coaches. Definitely. Um, but that being said, he's also adapted his own coaching style as a head coach. You know, Urban, Urban and Dan Mullen are two different types of head coach. And I really appreciate seeing how Dan Mullen handles the team, and he's very personal with his players. And you know, he's a little bit, a little bit more dialed down and lax at times with his, with his. Uh, he doesn't get too yelling and screaming and, and this and that. And he gets his point across when he has to. Um, and when Dan Mullen's, you know, at that point, you, you got to watch out because he's probably <laughs> ready to get after somebody pretty good. <laughs> but it, it, it's pretty cool to see kind of how he is as a head coach versus how he was as a really young, fiery assistant. Yeah, well, and also, speaking of fire, you had some, uh, you played with some great quarterbacks. Tebow always gets talked about, but tell me a little bit about your time with Chris Leak. I would probably say it's almost a tragedy that Chris has followed by Tim. Um, and, and I you know, mean that in a good way, obviously, but it's so hard not to get overshadowed when Tim Tebow follows you for, for three years, you know, two years after um, in the career that he had not only at Florida, just from an SEC perspective because of everything that Tim accomplished in the SEC. He's one of the most decorated Heisman winners. He's one of the most decorated SEC players uh, to ever play college football. And, you know, I'll say that Chris sometimes doesn't get his due um, in, in conversation, but when you go back and look at really what Chris Leak was able to accomplish, uh, I think it was two things. One, he was able to adapt to a coach and a, and a coaching style and even an offense that wasn't necessarily fit for him. You know, when you look at Urban Meyer in his early years at Florida, we're talking about option game quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, Chris Leak is a true pocket passer. That's what he's built for. To this day, probably the best spiral I've ever seen. Um, and I don't think I've seen a, a clear ball uh, thrown. But, you know, he was able to make it work. He was able to, to be a student of the game and, and one that was religious in the film room. And I think what that did also was, you know, you brought Tim Tebow up. Tim had talent and Tim had a lot of things. But seeing a guy that was in the same film room as him, that was already an upperclassman and had already been an established SEC quarterback, being able to see what he did well and how he studied the game and how he was you know, able to put things together in the game and, and during situations, I think that, that helped you know, Tim as a quarterback develop, aside from you know, Dan Mullen really guiding him along that path. When you have an upperclassman, and you can also add to the game in a certain way, Tim had a huge part in what we did in 06. Um, but he, you know, he learned a lot from Chris Leak and Dan Mullen that first year. Yeah, sounds like a true leader. And speaking of 06, that Gators National Championship began the SEC streak of seven consecutive natties. And for everyone who thinks there's an SEC bias out there, isn't the proof just in the hardware? Yeah, I mean, you can you can really trace back all the way to 05, 04 with, with LSU starting that out, you know, and, 
there was some really good football being played. I think that, that really had a lot to do with the dialing in my decision to go to college. You know, LSU was high on my radar. Um, Florida was high on my radar. Arkansas was up there. I think that FCC football literally does just mean more for a lot of people, especially if you grew up in the South and, and you watch different styles of football. It fits for a lot of, a lot of guys coming out of high school. Um, and, you know, Clemson lately has come on strong, but it's been dominant. And some of the players that are getting kicked out in the South and going to the league and, and, and having a lot of success at that next level, it's really hard to argue who's, who's ran college football for the last 15 years. Yeah, well, talking about those crazy fans down South, how was playing at the Swamp? Nothing like it. And I've been to a few, you know, as a fan – I've uh, been to Auburn, uh, you know, I've been to South Carolina, uh, you know, obviously now I'm doing the, the sideline broadcast, so I've been to Death Valley and a couple other places, but, you know, there's really nothing like it, and, and for Florida, you know, we, we're not like LSU right now, you know, LSU's done a lot to build that stadium up and, and put, you know, even more noise on top of you, and I've also been to stadiums that, that pump noise and crowd noise into the stadium and music and everything yep. else. Florida, the best part about Florida, in my opinion, is, what you get is, is nothing but fans. All real. There's no, there's no, you know, amplified crowd noise and, and trying to control the tempo of the game. It's literally what's right on top of you. And, man, when they get rowdy, they get rowdy. <laughs> uh, and I think that that's the true momentum swings in a game. Uh, you feel them a little bit more. You know, they're a little more amplified because it's crowd noise. It's crowd control. And so, you know, we've seen some really big ones. Auburn last year was, was one of those games I talk about that, you, you know, it's deafening at those moments in the game that mean that mean the most. Yeah, well, and you also spoke about heading over to the sidelines, jumping on the mic now on the broadcast side. How was that adjustments, and how many times do you just want to grab in a helmet and jump right into the game? <laughs> well, you know, it makes it, it makes it fun for me having, you know, Billy Gonzalez and, and John Hevesy on the coaching staff over there on the offensive sideline because I, I'm in tune with what they're saying. You know, I've got a general idea of what exactly – how they're coaching certain things and how they're coaching guys up. And when I hear the terminology that's the same when I play, uh, there's a lot of things that I can put together with that, and it gives me some good context uh, to draw into the broadcast. But, you know, for me, you know how it is. As a former player, that itch never really goes away, and, and you, you get a chance to really get into the game. And, and it's, you know, it's good for me to be able to just stay in tune with Gators football, which is something that I do anyway. Uh, so now I just – have, have a chance to do it on Saturdays and with a microphone in my hand. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's great that they have you there, and you give the definitely the player's perspective. All right, it's time, time to go. go. Y'all ready for this? Three and out. It's time to go three and out with Tate Casey. Three lighter questions to close out the interview. First off, you were clocked in high school. You were talking about baseball with a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. If we found a fast-pitch game on the boardwalk, what could you throw now? Still bringing the heat? You know, I say this. I had three elbow surgeries in 07, which is why I registered my senior year. Uh, on that pitching on that pitching arm, and then post-football, tore a Tommy John ligament, trying to go back to baseball. So, it depends. I, I'd say healthy. I'd pump 88. You give me some time to put it together, I could probably put 88 on the board. Possibly, possibly a little higher if you gave me a little more time. But I feel pretty confident at 88. Nice. You can still bring the heat. Nothing wrong with that. And number two, do you know the full Mr. Two Bits routine, and would you do it if asked? Oh, for sure, but only if it was an LSU game. Oh, 
Nice. Definitely. I want the LSU. I want the LSU home game. If, I, if I'm going to do it, I want the McCown. All right. Hopefully they're listening. Remember, call Tate up if we need him for Mister Two Bits. <laughs> And uh, finally, I'm a foodie. You're originally from Texas and spent time, a lot of time now in Florida. What is the best meal in each state, and where can I get it? Oh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, is there any good barbecue you know, in Florida it, compared to Texas? Yeah, it's, it's hard because you don't, get, you don't get too much brisket around here. You know, I'm a big brisket guy. I, I like me a great brisket, but you can literally run off the highway and, and bump into a good barbecue place in Texas. Um, <laughs> there's a couple that are really good. Um, but Hard Eight Barbecue is amazing in Dallas, Texas. Uh, last time I went home, had that for the first time. Uh, there's a lot of hole-in-the-wall shops that you can get some amazing barbecue. Florida, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe biased a little bit more of the uh, fair down here right now with seafood. I like me some really good seafood options. But there's a place in uh, St. Augustine, close to where I live, called The Preserved, that is about as good as you're going to get for a very quaint sit-down dining of maybe five or six tables. Nice. And it's always slammed. Ah, nice. But it's farm to table, and it's, it's amazing. Seafood and barbecue, you can't go wrong. All right, we've been speaking with Tate Casey, two-time national champion for the Florida Gators. Thanks for joining me today, Tate. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the College Football Legend Podcast. Tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus. That's at the Sports Jesus. And join us next week, because it will be legendary.